You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 38. Would you do that? <clears throat> and find that place. We're going to read that uh, all the way through in just a moment. The Word of God is so powerful. And we're going to walk through verse, each verse in just a moment. 22 verses in this incredible psalm in the Bible. We've been talking about <clears throat> a prescription. A prescription for regret. That God has given, and, and, and as we journey through this series, coming to this final sermon, in fact, next Sunday is going to be for our young people, Affirmation Sunday, so our student pastor uh, is going to bring the message next Sunday. The following Sunday, I'll be at a wedding. My brother's daughter, my niece, Hannah, who actually grew up at Gospelite, right here for many, many years, uh, my brother was my assistant pastor. Some of you remember Hannah. She's getting married, so I'm going to be flying to Vegas to be a part of the wedding and then preach for my brother at the church he pastors there in Las Vegas and then coming back. So I'll get a couple of Sundays to enjoy church like you do. I'll be here next Sunday in the services, but listening to our student pastor uh, speak, as we, and it'd be fun too because it'll be post-teen revolution, so I'm sure there'll be lots of things to share and talk about and testimonies and so forth, so it's going to be exciting. We come to the conclusion of a series. We'll begin a new one August the 15th. But I'm, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing, has done, will continue to do as we've learned how to get rid of this thing called regret. This morning, uh, a word we're going to just add to that is the word guilt. Because guilt is something that I think is much like regret, if not exactly like regret. But the question might be asked, what, what exactly is guilt? What specifically is it? Well, most people would say that it is this feeling that you have when you do something wrong. And I want to say this this morning, that that is not quite true. Now, guilt does have oftentimes a feeling with it, but it's not guilt. It's the guilt feeling. And sometimes that's what we focus on is getting rid of the feeling. And so if you put your hand on a hot stove, you feel something, right? At least... Well, my daughter does it, actually. I'll tell you, interesting fact is since I'm on hot stoves, Glorianne 
this, this uh, syndrome she has called Phelan McDermott syndrome. And it's so weird that it says the first word to the disease is Phelan because that's the name of the doctor, Phelan, but she can't feel anything. One of the things is you have to be very careful about someone who has this particular syndrome because they can put their hand on a hot stove and keep it there for a while and not realize they're burning themselves. Feeling is an important thing. And uh, so that's why we have to watch her all the time. But if you put your, your hand on a hot stove, the pain that you feel is not the burn. It's rather the burn that, that causes the pain, but the burn is the raw skin. The burn would be the blister that comes. And boy, it is painful. So the feeling that you have, that, that guilt feeling that we are referring to this morning that is not guilt. That's, that's the guilt feeling. And we want to do something about that feeling. We do. And, and, and there are oftentimes a great emphasis put on the feeling of guilt. But if we do something about the feeling of guilt and not the guilt itself, then there's, there's going to be nothing truly done about the guilt that's lasting, that is eternal, if you will. And so guilt is a condition. And the punishment is, is God's wrath. And so something must be done. We've been singing about that which was done. And it's called the blood that was spilt at Calvary. The grace of God that came as a result of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so this morning we're trying to do something. And we've been trying to do something not so much about the feeling. But about the condition over the past few weeks. Too often we get rid of the guilt feeling, but we don't do anything about the guilt because only the grace of God can remove guilt. You know, there's a lot of emphasis put on counseling, and I think we should have counseling, and I do a lot of that, and and, and I enjoy it. There's often emphasis put on seeing a a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and I by no means am, am minimizing the importance sometimes of getting help that way. But I'm convinced more and more that we have a generation that knows how to deal with guilt feelings that way, but they don't know how to deal with guilt. And so we need to find out how to deal with guilt because it is a major, major problem. In fact, it brings all kinds of psychological and emotional and physical problems and thus medicines and and, and, and psychiatrists and psychologists. And again, by no means is, is, is that... There are times when that is needed, but but oftentimes I think we're trying to somehow uh, treat this thing called feeling, guilt feeling, and not the root problem, which is the condition, the guilt. And so Psalm 38 is a psalm that deals with guilt. And so can I take just a moment and let the Word of God speak first? Let's look at this psalm of David. And we've talked a lot about David over the past few weeks, and Man, listen, David, he had a lot of issues. I mean, we've often, we've said this, I think, in a previous message. David was a good sinner, but he was also a really good repenter. Amen? And I think all of us need to learn that from David. Because we all sin. We all make mistakes. We're definitely not minimizing that. But thank God he knew how to repent. Follow along with me in this incredible psalm. A beautiful psalm. A prayer of a guilty man. The prayer of King David. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows, they've, they've sunk into me. Your, your hand has come down on me. There, there's no soundness in my flesh. 
because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have, have gone over my head they're, they're like a heavy burden. They're, they're just too heavy for me. My, my wounds, they, they stink, they, they fester, and it's because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down. I'm prostrate. I, I, I go all the day mourning about. My sides are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble. I'm, I'm crushed. I, I groan because of this tumult of my heart. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. Oh, God, my sighing, it's, it's not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails. The light of my eyes, it's, it's gone from me. My friends, my companions, they, they stand aloof. They, they have nothing to do with me. My nearest kinsmen, they, they, they stand afar off. Those who seek my life, they, they lay snares. They seek to hurt me. They speak of ruin. They meditate treachery all the day long. I'm like a deaf man. I can't even hear. I'm like a mute man. I I don't open my mouth. I have become like a man who who doesn't hear. In whose mouth there's no rebukes. But for you, for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall. Uh, My pain is ever before me. I I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. My foes, they're vigorous, they're mighty. Many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Don't forsake me, Lord. Oh, God, be not far from me. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. Oh, God, my salvation. Wow, what a song. And David here is is teaching us something, or this psalm is teaching us something about how to deal with guilt. In fact, more specifically, how God's grace deals with our guilt. I have a great privilege, along with Scott Mercer and some of the other teams, members here at Gospel Light, to go to, uh, I often affectionately call it Gospel Light Garrett. It's a retirement center. And And I talk about it a lot because it's a meaningful experience. It really is. And God's done some great things at this little church that we call Gospelite Garrett. And it's a a retirement home. And so we go there. And one of the things that's fun is because most of the people are elderly people, they enjoy the, the, the songs they remember, right? The older songs. They remember those songs because they grew up singing those songs. And many of those songs were, get this, new. They were new. In fact, all of them were new at one time. You do know that, right? Everything's new at one time. Okay, good. And they were new, and they, they were much younger songs back then, and now we would call them maybe the older hymns and songs of the faith. We sang some newer songs that are becoming old songs. In fact, Man of Sorrows is probably nearly 10, 15 years old now. We still sing it. So songs are sung oftentimes for long periods of time from time to time. And I like going there because we do sing some of the old songs. And I remember some of those old songs. I'm not as young as I look. I mean, I got teen revolution on my shirt, but I'm a bald-headed 56-year-old man, all right? But I enjoy those songs. The other, just a, a few weeks ago, we were, we were uh, singing a song that I remembered. And as we were singing it, I was reminded of this message that was coming in, in the series and I thought I would share it with you. It's a song that was written by, by this lady by the name of Julia Harriet Johnson. Julia Harriet Johnson was born in 1849. 
She wrote this song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, in 1911. It's an amazing thing. A hundred and what? Eleven years ago. She was a Sunday school superintendent at her Presbyterian church for 41 years. And if you read about this lady, you can tell she had such a great commitment to Christ, her, her God. She wrote 500 hymns. And so I began to look up some of these 500 hymns. I didn't recognize one of them. Not one. In fact, the only one of her 500 to make it to the hymn book, and it was obviously her most famous hymn, was the one that I have before you today. And in this song, she contrasts the the grace of God, God's abundant grace with my sin, my guilt, my regret. You might recognize it. I'm not the best of singers, so I won't sing the whole thing. But I'll sing the first and last verse. And I read the rest. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb. We sang about that this morning. Was spilled. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that greater than all our sin, sin and despair like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss, grace that is greater, yes, grace untold. Points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What what can we do to wash it away? Look, there's flowing a crimson tide. Brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see his face will you this moment his grace receive sing it grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace Grace that is greater than all our sin. It's a great song. And I'm reminded of that song. And our message today is grace that is greater than all of our sin. Grace that is greater than all of our guilt. And we're going to do that by looking at this psalm that seemingly is divided into two parts. And it's, it's obvious that the first part deals with a lot of tragedy of sin. In fact, in this series, we've done something. We'd be, we, we've made sure to do something, and that is we've not minimized sin. By no means are we going to do that ever. And, and we understand that David didn't do it either. In fact, David speaks of the tragedy of sin in the life of a saint. But he also speaks about the remedy of sin in the life of a saint. And though we don't want to minimize sin, we, we want to maximize grace. And so we'll do that as the message comes to a conclusion in just a moment. So what is the tragedy of sin in the life of a saint? 
Because when you are saved, and if you are saved today, God doesn't fix you. You've probably figured this out. It'd be cool if he did, but he doesn't fix you where you don't sin anymore. (laughs) And if we do sin, there's something that happens. What what, what does our sin do? Well, first of all, and you'll notice this in the notes, and David pointed it out in verse 1 and 2, sin displeases God. Look, if you would, at our text, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand has come down on me. David's sin, no question, displeased God. Now, there's three words I want you to notice here. I want to focus in on three very specific things David mentions here. First of all, notice he says that I'm rebuked. There are words of rebuked. I'm rebuked. I am disciplined, he says in verse 1. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Discipline me in your wrath. Now, one of the ways that we can know, and this is a good thing, one of the ways that we can know that we are saved is not whether or not you sin. It's when you do sin, does God rebuke you? Can I make an announcement this morning that's probably not a shock to you? God rebukes me when I sin. I I feel the pain oftentimes of God's displeasure when I sin. This is an evidence of of, of the fact that I am a follower of Christ, that I'm a child of God. And David points this out. Secondly, notice he says there's arrows of conviction. He says, for your arrows have sunk into me. And I have felt the arrow of conviction in my life as a Christian. Thirdly, he makes this, this, this uh, point in verse 2. He says, your hand has come down on me. And I, I just put that as this hand of pressure because oftentimes when we sin, it seems as if we think that somehow God just tosses us aside and doesn't have anything to do with us. And that's not true. The truth of the matter is God has us in his hand, but he just squeezes us. We feel the hand of his pressure, the loving hand of Christ, who because we are a child of God, there is discipline involved, there is conviction involved, there is pressure involved. And David was feeling the broken fellowship that he had with God, which is the mark of a, of a child of God. When he is in sin, when he has unconfessed or unresolved sin or regret or guilt in his life. And in fact, I would go as far as to say this. If you are not experiencing words of rebuke, arrows of conviction, and the hand of pressure, if you're here today listening to me and you never feel those things in your life when you sin, then, my friend, you need to be saved this morning. I say that lovingly, and and I say that compassionately. But this is something that David points out about what were the consequences of, of David's sin, and it displeased God. David understood that. The second thing that David points out is he says sin was destroying his strength, and he says there's six different ways that sin was affecting his body, his strength. He first of all points out that it was, it was wearying him. It, 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 he was tired. He was zapped of strength. Look, if you would, please, at verse number three. It's pretty specific. It says, there's no, there's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones. And here's why. Because of my sin. Sometimes people have a hard time sleeping. Maybe you do sometimes. And I know there's different reasons why you might have a hard time sleeping. Sometimes those reasons are neurological reasons. And those are real. Sometimes those reasons are digestive reasons. 
too much pizza at midnight, right? I've done that a few times. And it is hard sleeping when you've got a neurological disorder or potentially some, something going on in your digestive tract. I get that. But I want to tell you something else that will keep you up at night. Unresolved sin. Unresolved sin will keep the child of God up at night. And a clear conscience is much better than a sleeping pill, I can assure you. And when there is unresolved sin in our hearts and unresolved sin in our lives, it can be weary. It can zap the strength out of our lives. And in all these years of pastoring, I've, I've seen what sin can do. And oftentimes, I sense in my spirit that people are tired and weary. And there's many reasons why I get that. But oftentimes, I wonder if that is just the joy that's been zapped out of their lives. And when, when, when the joy goes, sin will tire you out because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so if we have no joy, we have no strength. And so sin destroys our strength. It wearies us. Secondly, notice in verse 4, David refers to the fact that it was a heavy burden to him. It weighed him down. Look at it. For my iniquities have gone over my head. And like a heavy burden, they are They're just too heavy for me. The person with unresolved sin in their life is carrying around a load. They're carrying around a weight, like like a hundred-pound weight on their shoulders. I'll tell this little story. I know he's here this morning, but Tom, wave at me, Tom. Last week, Tom left the building and mentioned that he, he was convicted about some things and wanted to follow Christ and be baptized and talk to me this week. And so I said, let's get together. And so I went Tuesday morning, as I always do, to Gethsemane House, did the devotions. And Tom said, don't forget me. And I said, that's right, Tom. Let's get together. So we scheduled it right there. And Friday, he landed in my office, and we sat and talked about the gospel and Jesus and what God was speaking to his heart about. He was pretty open and articulate about where he was at. And and we kind of went through the, the, the gospel, the story of Jesus and the grace of God. And and, and some of the things that we sang about this morning, that, that, that God spilt his blood for us, and he died for us, and he wants to redeem us and reconcile us to himself. And we, we broke that down and talked about that in, in a way that he understood. And, and he said, oh, I'd, like, I'd like to receive Christ. I, I want to be baptized. And we talked about baptism, what that looks like. And we had a wonderful time. And so Tom's getting baptized next Sunday. But Tom, after he prayed, he said, man, just feel like this weight's been lifted off me. And then he jumps up out of his seat and barely jumps into my arms. I mean, he just kind of comes out, gives me this fist pump, hugs me. And you could see this joy, this weight was lifted. It was as if he had experienced in front of my eyes what the grace of God can do to the sin that weights us down. And immediately, he was redeemed, he was reconciled, he was saved, he was born again. There's a lot of different ways to say it. But God did something that was exciting. Sin, David says in verse 5, not only does it weary us and weighs us down, but it wounds us. He makes this interesting analogy. He talks about that that his wounds, they, they stink. He said they fester. And actually, he goes on to say, and I know this is because of my, my foolishness. I want to say this. I don't think that David's referring here to physical suffering. I don't think he is. I think he's referring to the arrow of conviction that pierced him. 
And he, he's thinking back to, to just how sin wounds you. It's like spiritual gangrene. It's, it's a, a, he's wounded spiritually because there's two kinds of wounds that can affect our, our minds, the human psyche. First of all, there's the wound of sorrow. And there's the wound of guilt. Both of those wounds go deep. Sorrow goes deep and, and guilt goes deep. But sorrow is a clean wound. And over time, it, it'll heal. But guilt, it's a dirty wound. Really dirty. And the only way it goes away, the only way it can be healed, is it must be cleansed. Cleansed. Washed, if you will, in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, that's what David was referring to here. My, my wounds stink. They, they fester because of my foolishness. Sin has wounded me. Sin, sin will worry you. Look in verse 6, he says, I'm utterly bowed down. I'm a mess. I'm prostrate. All the day, I I go about mourning. You know what I've come to know as a believer? That there's no way for the follower of Jesus Christ to sin and enjoy it anymore. Anybody with me on that? It's just tough. I mean, once you follow Christ and, 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 and if you sin or continue in sin, man, it is hard to enjoy it. In fact, I would go as far as to say the most miserable person in the world is not a lost man, but rather a saved man who's out of fellowship with God. I believe that's true. And then sin, David says, well, it will, it will waste you. He goes on to say, kind of going back to the physical side of his body, he says, my sides are filled with burning, and he refers to his flesh again, his body again, and he says it like this, there's no soundness in my flesh. Now, I believe this could be talking about a genuine physical suffering in this verse. I mean, we all know that sometimes, especially the sins that David was involved in, David had a a lot of sexually involved sins. And, and, you know, sometimes God forgives. Well, all the time God will forgive, but sometimes nature doesn't. And sexually transmitted diseases are... Very prevalent, even in our society today. So I'm wondering if in this verse he could be talking about potentially a literal disease. And sometimes I think it's important that we emphasize as we talk about the importance of what the Word of God says about these types of things. We, we, the culture says, let's promote safe sex, but Scripture says, let's, pr- let's promote sacred sex. You know, it's really easy. It's one man, Scripture says, with one woman... In marriage, that's God's plan. And it's a beautiful plan, and it works. And, you know, sometimes I think we try to complicate things, but really the solution is so simple. It's found right here in the Word of God. And so David refers to his sin as something that had worried him and something that had wasted him and wounded him. He goes on to say, sin then will weaken you. Look at verse 8. He speaks of being feeble. I'm feeble, I'm crushed, I I groan because of the tumult of my heart. David, remember, was a mighty warrior. David was a a, a mighty king, often referred to as a brave person, but here we see he's broken. He's feeble, he's broken in body, he's broken in spirit, he's broken in his soul, and he's crying out in pain. I'll tell you something about sin that I found out. It promises much, but it pays nothing. 
Be very careful about what sin promises. Sin's a liar. Sin will always, it'll always cost you far more than you ever thought you would have paid. Sin. Not only does David teach us here in this psalm, it displeases God and it, it destroys our strength, but sin, notice also David refers to this in verse number 10, it deadens our soul. He says in verse 10, he said, my heart throbs. Let's read 10, 9 and 10, 9 and 10. Oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails, and the light of my eyes, well, it's also gone from me. What are the things that David is speaking about here? He, well, first of all, notice he, he talks about the fact that he's spiritually blind. He refers to his eyes in verse number 10 where he says that, my heart throbs, my strength fails, the light of my eyes. He's speaking here like a poet would speak. He's not literally blind, but rather he is spiritually blind. And what is he spiritually blind to? I suggest to you he's blind to the goodness of God. He's blind to the blessings of God. You know, yesterday I was, uh, at least last night, I, and, I, and I mentioned this this morning, but man, it was exciting. And in fact, this morning, Doug Gully and I were talking about this for about five minutes before the first service. We were just looking around the church, and we saw Diana Russo and Vince, who plays our electric guitar and, and, uh, and, and, and worships with us. Vince has been doing it for many, oh, here he is. Vince is here, and uh, Vince is like me. We're not getting any younger, are we, Vince, right? But we're still excited about serving God. And I just love Vince. And I had the chance to go to his concert last night. Chloe got to do a few songs with him. But Vince did the majority of the concert. And I had a chance to go for a while. And man, honestly, Vince, more than the music, more than all of the, it was cool. It was just cool. Downtown. I mean, what's that song y'all sang, the, 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 the worship song? You and Chloe? Revelation, Revelation song. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, man, by the way, that's got a, a guitar run on it to die for. Oh, I'm telling you, it was awesome. And they sang the Revelation song in downtown Hot Springs. And by the way, it got the most applause. More people came in during that time. It was exciting. I mean, our people singing about Jesus downtown Hot Springs last night at 9 o'clock at night. Man, I'm sure if you knew about it, you might have come. It was amazing. It was awesome. And we were there, and I think more than any of that, honestly, I walked away, and I told my wife when I got home, man, we are a blessed church. God is so good to us, to give us good people and people that are using their gifts and their talents and abilities. It's just so fun to serve God at Gospel Light. I just had a time praising God for you, and specifically yesterday, representing you, Vince, and his wife, Diana, who serves in our nursery. And I think right now that's where she's at, serving as she does every week. It's exciting. You say, Pastor, you actually see God's goodness and insignificant things like that? I, I don't know how insignificant it is when, when, when you get to serve God alongside people and, and worship God through that. And, and I love the fact that I got up this morning, out of bed, walked to the kitchen uh, by myself. I, I, I drank a cup of coffee. I, I, I enjoyed my health this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching with my everything I've got this morning. That's God's goodness. God is good. And I think sometimes when we forget God's goodness, it's indicative of the fact that maybe there's some sin in our lives that's, not, that's unconfessed. When you really have an understanding of the grace of God and, and the forgiveness of God, and you experience that, your eyes begin to open to the blessings of God. David says, man, I'm blind. I, I, I just can't see. 
Listen, can I encourage you, church, to take time often to sing of the goodness of God. We sing about it a lot here. Remember, God is good. God is so good. And then he speaks about not just being spiritually blind, but notice in verse 13 he says, I'm like a deaf man. I don't hear anything. Seems as if he's spiritually deaf as well. David had enemies. Without question, if you follow the life of David, you know not everybody liked him. He had armies that tried to kill him. He had individuals that were after his life. I mean, there was a lot of danger in David's life. But David speaks about the fact that he was vulnerable here to danger. He said, man, I just, I can't hear. I'm blind to God's blessings. I'm, I'm deaf to the dangers around me. And then he speaks about being mute. He says, I'm spiritually mute in verse 13. I'm like a mute man. I can't even open my mouth. His sin had shut his mouth. And I'm going to tell you something. For sin to shut David's mouth, the sweet psalmist of Israel, who wrote more songs than anybody in the Bible, had no song. Praise was dried up. Testimony was withered. I mean, he hadn't, if I could say it like this, he hadn't led a soul to Christ in forever. Just had to open his mouth up for Jesus in a long time. If I could say it like that, just to, just to make sure that we're... we're We're connecting with what happens sometimes when our sin affects our our souls and we forget the blessings of God and and, and we we don't see the danger around us and, and, and we're not singing and praising God with our mouths and talking about the goodness of God and witnessing about the goodness of God all around us. And then I want you to see, fourthly, that sin distanced his friends. Look, if you would, in verse 11, it says, my friends, my companions, they're nowhere to be found. They're they're standing afar off. They act like I've got the plague. My nearest kin, even my own family. I mean, people really close to me, they stand afar off. People don't want to be around him. Why? Because sin makes people really hard to live with. In fact, you know what I found? I think it's a little bit easier to leave with an all-out, all-American sinner who doesn't claim anything with Christ. It's a little easier to get along with that person than someone who is following Christ but living in sin. It might be easier to kind of relate to somebody or talk to somebody or get along with somebody or be around somebody that doesn't profess Christ. And yeah, their lives may be messed up, but at least, you know, they, they, they don't know the truth. Man, it's tough sometimes to be around folks who just are living in sin. It's hard to get along with those folks. I know I can be hard to live with, honey, when I'm not right with God and right with you. Sin distances us from our friends. He says that sin also delights our enemies. Look at verse 12. Those who seek my life lay lay their snares. They, They seek my hurt. They speak of my ruin. They meditate treachery all the day long. The devil, your enemy, is strategizing to moment by moment destroy your life that's what he's doing that's what the devil listen i want you to know this morning there's a lot of people that would love to see me fall into sin like a shark that smells the blood look at verse 16 for i said only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me they boast they brag about my foot slipping they they actually think it's a great thing they talk about it they gossip about the mistakes that i make they spread the rumors true or false 
Look at verse 19 and 20. My foes are vigorous. They're mighty. Those that hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. Wow, the tragedy of sin in the life of a saint. We have not mistakenly minimized sin in this series. We'll never do that. We're not doing it this morning. It's obviously a tragedy. There were some really bad things that David did. I get it. There's bad things that you and I do. There is tragedy in sin. There is consequences in sin. But can we turn this thing around? Right now, can we just turn the ship around and realize that this morning the emphasis is, yes, not to minimize sin, but to maximize grace because grace is greater than our sin and our guilt. And there's four wonderful steps to freedom. It's almost as if, and I love this about the Psalms. I see it often in the Psalms as I read them. There's like a transition moment. There's like a prayer that is very transparent and revealing and discouraging. And yet, then there's this change. It's like the light bulb goes on. It's like, it's like Tom, you know. The weight's lifted. I'm ready to hug somebody, you know. I see it sometimes in church. It happens to me sometimes in church as I come in, maybe a little bit, not on my A game, but by after the first song, oh man, I'm like, well, Eric, wake up, son. Look at how good God is. You ever been there? And sometimes it just, there's this moment, and in this psalm, there's this moment. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about the remedy of sin in the life of a saint. Look at these steps. First of all, in verse 15, it starts off with, we see that the confidence that David had. And this is what made David great. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who, who might answer if he's having a good day. It is you, O Lord, my God, who probably, I mean, I I would think he'll answer. Do you see David's confidence here? I love it. Who will answer? David had confidence that God was standing ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. He had a rock rib confidence in God's answering and hearing his prayer. He was confident that God would do that. He was confident that God would forgive him. He was confident that God would cleanse him. Church, you may disappoint God, but there's nothing you can do to stop God from loving you. And this is what Scripture teaches in Romans chapter 8, where it says, I'm sure, I'm confident, I'm so confident of this very thing, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death. In fact, let's just, let's just set the record straight. Nor anything in creation. I just, just make your list as long as you want it. Add that to it, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Woo, that's exciting. Man, I love that. This morning, I bring that confidence to you. I come into this building this morning with, a, with an energy. I know I'm not wearing my energy shirt, but this energy this morning that I pray that you will tap into. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the forgiveness of God. It's the fact that he will cleanse us. That you and I today can, can know of the grace of God, experience it on a daily basis, and live in victory in a triumphant Christian life. You know, yesterday I was told that Love Day, I got a message from one of our folks that they were there at Love Day, and 
they had the privilege of speaking to someone. And by the way, Love Day is a great ministry. It's, it's, it's happening here a little more often because what we're doing is with the help of Gethsemane House and a lot of our church members, we're connecting with people who are on the streets. Sometimes they're transients. They're, they're not living here. They're, they're going somewhere else. They're kind of coming through town. And, and we are taking the time to minister, to love, to pour into them. It's kind of cool. They get a haircut. They get a hot meal. Uh, I think yesterday was goulash, right? I don't even know what goulash is. Sounds a little scary, but anyway. And uh, goulash, and, and they, nah, I love it, Jeff. And they get loved, and they get shoes, and whatever they need. And Sometimes they're here, sometimes they're moving on. Well, this particular person was going to Oklahoma this week. They were just here for a short time. And one of our members had the privilege of talking to them. And, and let me tell you something. When somebody's on the streets and homeless, wouldn't, look, without even any judgment here, just you can see the pain, the struggle, the sorrow, the things that have gone on. There's, there's just a, it's not important what it is. It's just there's a lot of stuff. And so as they began to minister to this, these two people and, and just talk to them about Jesus and his grace and his love for them, one of them bowed their heads and accepted Christ yesterday at Love Day. And they texted me to ask me, hey, they want to get baptized. And so I was trying to think of a way we could, I know next Sunday's Baptism Sunday, and it was too soon to set our, and get all the water warm and do our deal that we do every first. So I was I texted back, said, maybe we can get creative. Let me see what I can do. Maybe there's a, you know, some way in town this week before they go to Oklahoma. And then I got word this morning that they were sick. They called and said, look, I'm not going to be able to come this morning, but I want to meet with that pastor. I want to talk to him. Maybe there's somewhere in Oklahoma, a church he can find for us. Maybe I can get baptized there. And that's what I want to do is help them find a church in Oklahoma, wherever they're going. You know what I love about this story? Is what I love about it is just God's grace is greater than our sin and our guilt. And the confidence that we can have that God's grace can wash away our sin and there is no sin that God's blood can't wash away. You know, I know amens aren't real popular in church, but if I could just say that, that was a really good spot right there. Even if you don't say amen, that was a good spot to go like this. Decent point. Even just decent point. That was good stuff. God's sin. You know what I love? I love the fact that we're telling not stories that date back a month or two months or a year. This happened this week on our campus. People coming to know Christ, experiencing God's grace. This, my friends, is, is, is the power of the gospel. Jesus saves. He saves. He saves to the uttermost. He saved me. He saved Tom. He saved this brother yesterday at Love Day. Let the word of God put that confidence in your heart this morning. And then notice not only the sinner's confidence, but the sinner's contrition. And again, we've been very careful to to emphasize this thing called contrition. It's important. Sometimes I think we we tread upon God's grace with confidence that we kind of think we deserve it. And we, we begin, if we're not careful... And when I... Please forgive me. Don't think I'm saying we as meaning you. I'm, I'm just saying... Let's all be careful of this. I'm including me in this by saying that sometimes we can get so confident that it's almost as if we, you know, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. And again, I know I'm reviewing messages throughout this sermon, but contrition is an important part of repentance. In fact, the confidence that David had was interwoven with contrition and brokenness. 
It had to be. We must come to the end of our sin. We see it in verse 17 and in verse 18 where David said, I'm ready to fall. My pain is ever before me. Confess, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for... Justin, man, I just want you to know, I hope you're sorry for your sin. You know why I'm preaching the sermon, right? Because you're here. You need it. And that's why I'm glad you're on the second row. No, he didn't say he was sorry for Justin's sin. He was sorry for his sin. Because it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, oh Lord. It's me. It's me. It's Eric. It's the pastor. It's you. Notice here, he came to the end of his sin. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. David here is at the end of his rope. Nobody's ever repented until he is truly sorry for his sin. And maybe I should have, actually, that maybe should have said no one has ever truly repented until he is truly sorry for his sin. A genuine repentance. There can be no repentance without sorrow. And David here is at the end of his rope again in verse 11. It's clear. And then in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we've emphasized a lot this series, he said, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Because there is no forgiveness without repentance and there is no repentance without sorrow. So there's the sinner's confidence. There's the sinner's tradition. Look, though, with me at the sinner's confession. This is important. Do not forsake me, verse 21, O Lord. No, I'm sorry, verse, verse 18. Verse 18, I'm sorry. I confess my iniquity. I want to focus on that word confess. Here's why. Because I, we talked about the meaning of the word confess, I think last week or the week before, homo which means to agree with. That's what it means. It literally means to say the same thing as. So when I confess what I'm doing, when I confess my sin, when I confess my iniquity, this is really, uh, I think, uh, you know, hopefully something you can grasp. It's to agree with God about your sin. Not to make excuses, to take personal responsibility. I agree. God said it. It's sin. So I agree with it. It's sin. I see my sin the way God sees my sin. I feel about my sin the way that God feels about my sin. That is confession. We say what God says. We feel with what God says. We take God's side. We make no excuses. The sinner's confession. And then the sinner's cleansing. Look at 21. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. I love this. O Lord, my salvation. Good news. When you are forgiven. This is really good. We're almost done. You are completely restored totally restored let that sink in when you are forgiven when you experience the grace of God you are restored completely you are restored totally it is gone your sins are buried they are cleansed I used to say they're forgotten until I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone about this and they said you know actually preacher it it, um he he said you know it, it doesn't say forgotten really anywhere in the Bible. It's interesting. I used to say that too. He said, but then I studied it. It actually says that God doesn't remember our sin. 
I said, man, that's good. He then said this. He said, you know, it's not that God can forget anything. He's God. He knows everything. But he chooses not to remember. That's even better. That really got me fired up. I was a 56-year-old kid sitting in the class thinking, wow, I just learned something. I've been saying this not intentionally. And, and, and there, I guess we could say, well, there's still some Exciting things about that too. But the truth is, he doesn't even remember our sins. When he could, he chooses not to. This is grace. David made a lot of mistakes. We, we've talked about it. I think three or four messages. We've, we've kind of seen the, the tragedy of David's mistakes. We've, we've not minimized those mistakes. We've emphasized some of those things. We've talked about them, and we've been gentle and careful not to go too far and into, into detail, but it's, it's clearly that David is very honest and transparent about his sin. I wonder today, I, I doubt it that anybody in this room is, has, has even sinned to that extent or, or, or done those things, but I want you, does not matter? Because whether, if you're a teenager in this room that is, oh, you're a sinner, but some of these things we've preached about, you're like, man, I've not done anything like that. It takes just as much of the blood of Jesus to cleanse your sins as it did to cleanse David's. We all need cleansing. And yes, David's sin was tragic, but God's grace was greater than David's sin. And God's, greater, God's grace is greater than my sin. Let's not minimize sin. Instead, let's maximize grace. What is grace? Can I just put it sim- simple? Jesus Christ died for our sins. How good is that? He died for our sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. That's God's grace. Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 20 says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Oh, it's amazing. Because sometimes we, we look at sin and we tend to point our fingers and say, man, could God, could God ever forgive that? I mean, that's awful. That's really bad. I mean, I wonder if there's any hope for them. Yes, there's hope. You can mount up all the sin you want and grace is more. You, you can list all the sins you want. Grace trumps it every time. That's what that says. I don't even know how to preach that verse. I come up short every time. I don't know. I can't say enough. There's not enough words and adjectives. There's not enough depth or time. Or There's no way I could describe it. I can just tell you this. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he died for you. Your sins, past, present, and future. There's six, seven billion people living on planet Earth right now. And he died for all their sins. And his grace is more than all those put together. Is your mind blown yet? God has no problem with this thing. He's got enough grace. Receive it. Receive it. Listen. You don't have to carry around that regret anymore. I realize we're, we're moving on to new sermons and new series and new horizons. And, and that's exciting. We'll try to preach the whole counsel of God. And we've... We've had some, some good moments in the last six weeks and, and people have been reconciled and families are stronger and marriages are getting some things set. Even my own wife and I have enjoyed conversations about this. But don't miss it. Don't carry your regret out of this building, your sin out of this building, your guilt. Grace is greater than all of it. 
maybe you're here this morning and when I talked about Tom and I talked about that other person, uh, individual that was saved yesterday, maybe that's where you connected. You said, that's me, that's me. I need that. I need that salvation part. I, I need to do that. If that's you, I want to invite you right now to experience the love of Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. That's what this service is all about. We start with Jesus. We're going to come back to Jesus. We're going to finish. We're going to start and finish with him. He's what this is all about. And he wants to save you this morning. I encourage you to come forward or talk to us after the service or see me in the lobby like Tom did. Just say, hey, you got any time this week? Can I talk? God's doing something in my heart. We'll take time. We'll take time today. But if you're here today and you are a child of God, and this is just really good news to you. This is just something that you really needed because there's some things that have been unresolved and unrepented of, and it's just time to get that washed away, cleansed by His grace. Would you come this morning or or pray where you're standing or even maybe just sing? Worship. Open your mouth. You've been mute for too long. There's no reason to be mute. God's grace says, here's some joy. This is your strength. This is your strength. You've been zapped of it. Here it is. Here's your joy back. And just worship the Lord. Pray. Sing this song as a prayer. Let me pray over you right now. Father, thank you for this opportunity to spend time with my church family on Sundays. I love it. I'm honored to do it. It's a great privilege to be able to talk to people about you, Jesus. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. The best thing. Lord, I love you. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your mercies. Lord, I woke up this morning to a fresh batch of it. Thank you for your grace that just triumphs over my sin. Jesus, you're the answer to everything. And so, God, today we just come before you with humble hearts. We're confident, but we're also contrite. We know we don't deserve it, but we're sure thankful that this morning you chose us. God, may we respond. And may this series, as it comes to an end, continue to have an impact on our lives as we rid ourselves of regret and walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?